0: Thank you so much for coming on the show live with C Sharp. I'm so excited to speak with both of you. How has music shaped your lives? I know that you both have interesting, unique stories. And just talk a little bit about your journey in music and and how it's impacted you. Uh,
1: When I think about music, I think about growing up. I think about my household. I think about all of the amazing musicians I had an opportunity to meet because my stepdad, Teddy Harris, worked for Motown and was a you know a jazz master in Detroit and had a 15 piece bebop orchestra. So uh, and even before that, my mom always exposed us to the art and music. So I also think about, as far as how it influenced my life, is I became an artist, you know, and a lot of that was because I was surrounded by these amazing artists, and they showed me that you can have a life as an artist. You can do what you love to do and still, you know, create a world that you want to live in. So that was really exciting to me to be exposed to all of that music and all of that talent uh, and the Motown
0: sound. Carla, what about you? How did music influence your life?
2: Sure. Well, since Margot and I grew up in the same household, (laughs) um, I echo everything that um, she she said. Um, I think we, at a very young age, kind of was introduced to music um, and all genres, all kinds. And I recall like kind of the point in my life where I didn't just hear the music, I started to analyze it, learn the lyrics, if there were lyrics. I became intimately familiar with with the artists and started to kind of choose my my favorites. Um, And hey, I just remember things like being at the symphony even later on in life with Teddy and I remember he would kind of quiz me and teach me how to segment the different instruments like listen for the French horns or listen for the bassoons and I remember really enjoying that. And kind of the 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 impact in my life is a little different from Margot's because I didn't go into the arts professionally. Um I I went kind of the corporate route but um I actually recall uh, one of my employers, when I was offered a a big job, um, actually made the comment that he was so happy he found someone who knows how to appreciate the Chamber Society as well as, say, the Motown Museum. So in all facets of my life, um, my knowledge of a broad spectrum of, of music really influenced Uh, things that happened with me. And lastly, I think one of the biggest impacts of my life that music had was it helped me find my soulmate. I met my husband, who was visiting from out of town at the Detroit Jazz Festival. And our deep love of
1: jazz is what brought us together. Listening to Carla made me think about a couple other things. uh, That my biological father Mm actually exposed me to the Beatles when Mm -hmm. I was a little girl. Um, He was fascinated by the Beatles, and he made me learn every song. And I was in the band. Carla and I were both flute players. So we uh, were also uh, not only music listening and singing, but we also played music in the uh, high school band. So I just wanted to add that. Well, Margo played much better than I did.
0: But the experience is what matters. And you both not only had the experience of playing instruments, but being surrounded by legendary musicians. Carla, you talked about the fact that though you had this exposure to music, you played the flute. I also know that you danced. You did not go, (laughs) (laughs) I know, a little birdie may have told me, Um, you did not go into the arts, but you went into corporate philanthropy and community service. Can you talk about your journey into that career path?
2: Absolutely. I was extremely fortunate to begin my professional career on the uh, Washington, D.C. staff of Congressman John Conyers. Um, It was an internship sponsored by the University of Michigan, my alma mater, that turned into a permanent position. And at a very young age of 21 years old, I was given what I still think were the most challenging but rewarding assignments of my entire career. And um, interestingly enough, music actually played a big role in my experience on Congressman Kanye's staff. He was a major music buff, jazz buff. I never forget he had this huge um, base, stand-up base, um, in his office. And uh, some of my assignments related to that, um, we started a political action committee that was called the Parker Coltrane PAC. And that was one of my assignments, to establish that PAC. And I had to get Nancy Wilson to come and do a fundraiser for the PAC. I remember writing a congressional record piece on Alice Coltrane, and that's how I learned about her. And then finally worked very closely with Stevie Wonder when he spent uh, months in Washington D.C. to help us pass the Martin Luther King Holiday bill. So even through that experience with Congressman Conyers, uh, there was a lot of you know my music knowledge and and, and passion was able I was able to use that. Um, I didn't want to stay in politics and be groomed to uh, run for office. I was very uh, happy to join the private sector and got an opportunity at Chrysler to work for the Chrysler Fund, their charitable giving arm. And um, luckily for me, they weren't looking for someone who had done that in the past, but just someone with good writing skills, et cetera, and I got that position, which led to me to go on and grow, uh, and became the corporate contributions person for Ameritech Publishing, and then a great opportunity at a higher level became available at Comerica Bank, and I uh, started. Uh, I ran their giving program, and then later on, even grew to a higher position at Detroit Edison, and which later became DTE Energy, and that's uh, the job I retired from. And i just like to kind of end this with saying, from the beginning, uh, working with Congressman Conyers, I really learned how to forge coalitions, galvanize the community, and, you know, a big sense of advocacy, which I was able to carry on uh, into my corporate philanthropy role.
0: Margo, what about you? Now, you're in the arts and you're acting, you're a playwright, and recently appointed the first female artistic director of the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. Let's talk about that journey.
1: Sure. Uh, I have been on stage since I was a little girl. I remember when I was like five years old in kindergarten and I was dancing on the table. Uh, There's actually a photo of me just Carrying on on and the table. I love being a performer. Yeah, just dancing on the table <laughs> in school, setting up my stage, <laughs> uh, and I love I love performing. Uh, a friend of mine says, "Margot, you love theater," and I and I agree. I really love the art form. I love the idea of creating a life wow. on stage. I love the idea of being able to do a job that can impact people in the moment and possibly change people's way of thinking. It's a very powerful position to hold. And, um, and I started again when I was a little girl, I went to dance school, Carl and I both and my older sister, we went to Tony school of dance at the age of five and started the journey as a little dancer and then performing all through high school, And then it came time for college, and my mom, although she loved the idea that I was an actress and a singer and dancer, she really wanted me to go to school for something else. And she said, we need a doctor in the family, so that's what you're going to do. Wow. And so I spent two years at the University of Michigan, and I said, well, I don't really want to be a doctor. How about a dentist? So (laughs) I went to school for two years pre-med, because you're always pre-med when you start in, into any type of medical position. And it was tough. I didn't like it. And I found myself going to the theater constantly and getting on the costume um, crew and different things like that. And by my last semester, I was taking all theater courses. And I said, you know... I- this isn't what I want to do. And I went to my mother and I said, I want to transfer and go to school in New York and pursue my career as an artist. And that's what I did. And eventually moved out to the Bay Area and started uh, another theater company that is now going on 20-plus years, which is a company called Campos Santo that I'm a founding member of here in the Bay. And it was a young, gritty company. We did plays that everyone else was afraid to do. We tackled issues around uh, racism and social justice, and uh, it was just this tiny 70-seat theater that we were working out of, uh, sold out all the time, had a huge following still due to this day. And uh, we just built a company for ourselves that changed the face of theater in San Francisco at the time. Um, I became a director out of the company because one of our directors uh, dropped out. And so they said, Margo, you have to direct this play. And I was like, I I don't know anything about directing. And they said, yes, you do. You tell us what to do all the time anyway, so why don't you just become the director? So I started directing. And from there, I gained a career as a director, and I started branching out and acting and directing at the larger uh, theater companies. And I have to
2: chime in, the, the big sister here, Cecilia. I mean, her her accomplishments, awards, and accolades and recognition are just boundless. She's always very modest about her achievements, <laughs> and I would just throw in um, for those who. Probably don't totally appreciate the the magic of theater and how difficult it is not only to be in a play on stage and direct um, a play. She recently uh, had a, a role in the Pixar animated film Soul, which just won a Golden Globe, along Jamie Foxx <laughs> and Angela Bassett and Tina Fey. She was one of the, the voice of one of the characters in that. Successful film, and she's just finished filming a TV show that's coming up, Blind Spotting, that's based on a movie she had a role in that came out a few years ago. So she's, she's the master of all of it. <laughs>
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to this incredible interview with Carla and Margot Haas, sisters from Highland Park, Michigan, trailblazing women who have gone on to do amazing things and even in that journey, reaching back to help so many others. So, what does it mean to you, Margot, to be the first female artistic director of the Lorraine Hansberry Theater?
1: Well, it's truly an honor, and I have been a fan of Lorraine Hansberry since I was a little girl. I am always so proud to talk about the fact that I was exposed at a very young age to black playwrights, black writers, uh, such as Langston Hughes, James Baldwin, Lorraine Hansberry. I mean, the first theater I ever performed at was the Langston Hughes Theater, uh, when I was about 10 or 11 years old. And so I've always had an appreciation for black artists and to be in a position where I can bring forth the legacy of Lorraine Hansberry. is just phenomenal. And it has made me focus on all of the young black female and Tim identified artists out there, uh, that I now am in a position to nurture and create opportunities for. I mean, Maureen Hansberry, she was not only a playwright, she was an activist, she was a nationalist. Uh, there's so much of her work that we don't even know about because everyone focuses on Raisin in the Sun. And I am interested in bringing forth her poetry, her essays, all the things that made Lorraine Hansberry who she is, who she was. It's totally an honor and I am so grateful for this opportunity.
0: Well once again congratulations on your position and I know that we'll be hearing about all the work that you will be doing at the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. Carla, your sister was speaking about Lorraine Hansberry and all the incredible work that she has done as an activist. What about women in music? Are there any women who have inspired you or motivated you or, or that you admire their work?
2: Well, the, the list is, is too long <laughs> to, to name because, boy, I love so many. And I stumbled upon a harpist who was born in 1943, named Ann Hopson Pilot. And she excelled, you know, through all kinds of uh, hardships and and, and, uh, challenges, but became the principal harpist for the Boston Symphony Orchestra and the Boston Pops. And I liked her story in particular because um, it, you know, tells us how she began studying the harp when she was only 14 years old, And she excelled to the highest caliber, but because of her race and because she was black, she was rejected by the the larger, you know, the Harp colony, the Harp schools that could have propelled her on her way into her career. And, um, you know, she did overcome those obstacles and eventually got into the Harp colony and really excelled in playing the harp professionally. And that reminded me of kind of Nina Simone's story, who was one of my all-time favorites, who also, she was actually studied; she was a classical pianist. And a lot of people, I don't think, realize that. That's what her her family invested in her to learn and become a classical pianist. But again, because of her race, she was not embraced. She could not get the caliber of jobs or or be able to sustain herself. And she just started singing to make ends meet and became, of course, a prolific singer. So I do find myself in this time kind of learning about and really learning more about these stories that we don't often hear about and learn about. And uh, my best friends and I, we started binge-watching TV And then discussing and reviewing what we watch on the weekends. And we learned, we we kind of went back and realized we've been doing this for over a year now, and we've done like 50 different titles. But even recently, the US versus Billie Holiday is another example of a story about Billie Holiday, much like Margot was saying, Lorraine Hansberry is an activist. People weren't well aware of that, nor are people aware of uh, the, the impact of Strange Fruit. And, you know, what, what it cost Billie Holiday to continue to, to perform that song. So I just, from going from learning about the harpist and Hobson Pilot, it just made me continue that research and to learn more about these incredible African-American women in music who had struggles beyond what we've ever learned about or been told about and how they over, overcame those obstacles.
0: So I have a a question for both you and and Margo, but Carla, you can go first on this one. How has music helped you to cope with the pandemic?
2: I don't know, I have a kind of an esoteric answer. How can, you know, how else can you you answer that? I just think that uh, music soothes your soul. It improves your mood and it's totally accessible without any complications. You know, you can sit in your car, you can sit in your home, you can be anywhere and access music. And I think especially in the pandemic, music has allowed me to connect with others without even having to be in the same room with them. I watched the Detroit Jazz Festival, you know, live stream last year, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it was a totally different experience of sitting there with thousands upon thousands of people, but I still could enjoy it and experience it with other people without us being in the same space. And I just think that's how it's helped me during the, the pandemic, music. It's a still universal language, and uh, you can access it anytime.
0: Margo, what about you?
1: There's a lot of silence, and that silence can be overwhelming. And I find that when I play music... It fills that silence, and it it, it just is inspiring. You know, my fiance and I, we both love music, and we we listen to all kinds of genres. And I, it's like I have my Sunday morning gospel. You know, I get up on Sunday morning, and I have my gospel music. It just gives me that extra. Uh, energy I need for that day. Uh, I, you know, grew up going to church and, and feeling that music. And so that's how I bring church into my house is Sunday morning. We all, we, we, when we cook in the kitchen, we sometimes battle over who's going to play what. And we often end up going back to the old school and playing Stevie Wonder and, uh, the Commodores, and, uh, and we just sing and enjoy cooking together and playing our music. And then he goes to the whole other spectrum with his rap groups that are <laughs> happening right now. <laughs> and, and then we get up, and I do my little dance, and he does his little dance, and then we both sit down. We're like, Oh, we should have done those dances. We're about to break our back. So we have those moments. It fills the house, and it's just like growing up. We always had music in the house. If it wasn't Teddy sitting at that piano playing music at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning, or the band, the bebop orchestra in the basement playing music, Uh, It's like Carlos said, it fills your soul. And yeah, I mean, wow, we're so blessed to have our hearing, the ability to hear this music and feel it. Um, It just makes me emotional just talking about it.
0: Now is the time to do something different or follow the passion that has been ignored for so long. What suggestions do you have for someone who wants to start a nonprofit, a business, or pursue the performing arts right now? A lot of people are, are, are doing something different out of necessity, out of uh, the urge to create. And then there are people that want to do something different but have no idea where to start. So I, I don't know. Who would like to take this question first, Carla or Margo? Margo.
1: This is a really, to me, it is a very exciting time for the arts. So I say, if you're out there and you're wondering, do I want to go into this theater, into the world of the arts during a pandemic? It's really scary right now, right? Because everything is shut down. So what does that mean for you? Will we ever go back to the stage? will we ever have venues of music and dance? And I say, yes, we will, because you cannot keep an artist down. We will find ways to create no matter what. So if that, if you're hungry for that and your spirit is telling you, it's time for me to pursue something that I've always wanted to do, uh, and it's in your heart, now's the time. We know that in any given day, you could be here today and gone tomorrow. That's so much more evident for me than it was a year ago. <laughs> so if that's what you want to do, I say go for it. Do it. People want to hear your story. People are there to support you. Believe in yourself. Trust your instincts and know that there's always a way to create. And we will be back on our stages. And we will be back uh, listening to orchestras play and we will be watching musicals and people singing on stage and we will be doing it in a way where we are safe and we are protected and we are a community of folks who are coming together to fellowship in a way that we never have before.
0: Dear listener, if you feel that urge inside of you calling you to be an actor or actress to pick up the instrument to produce to create to write to sing now is definitely the time now carla after our dear listener here's that urge you have mm-hmm. to have a plan can you speak to the taking those steps part of this this journey and i think well, it's you
2: imp- know me well <laughs> i think you know me well i would say Starting any type of business or endeavor from the ground up can be very exciting, although exhausting, and when successful, can provide ultimate gratification. Uh, If it's a hobby for self-fulfillment, I say pursue it wholeheartedly. But if you are trying to launch a profit-making endeavor, I say proceed cautiously. Um, In your head, it's a dream. On paper, it's a plan. But with support, actions can become reality. But I do encourage people to pursue their passion all the time. I think that's very important, necessary, is critical. But I also advise them to take the time to determine if they need to start their own business or organization to share their passion, or does this service already exist? And perhaps you can join an existing initiative to lend your talent and also fulfill your passion. And, you know, all those years that I was in corporate grant making, I came across hundreds of individuals who had a passion to do something in the community. And that is wonderful. But they would run off and start nonprofit organizations and then say, now what do I do? And you want to teach kids to read. Kids need to learn how to read. That's true. But they don't stop to look and say, well, there's 20 organizations out here already doing that and they're all doing it well. So instead of starting my own nonprofit, perhaps I can just get involved with one that's already in existence. So that's where I kind of say proceed cautiously. Make sure you have a niche. Make sure that you have uh, a service that doesn't exist or isn't really being uh, addressed properly before you proceed.
0: There are a lot of influences (laughs) in media and social media on how people should behave or act or look uh, as opposed to who they already are, how they came here. What does it mean to show up as your authentic self, Carla? Carla.
2: Well, your, your authentic self, to me, is the person you truly are, regardless of your occupation, regardless of the influence of others. Uh, it's an honest representation of you. And to be authentic is to be your true self through your thoughts, your words, and actions. Um, I am very envious of the times we live in when I was coming up, words like unapologetic just we're not in our vocabulary. And I don't know that there was as much freedom back then to be your authentic self, to express yourself. Um, it's like no hold barred now, I think. And to be honest, I struggled with being my authentic self personally and professionally. For a very long time, I was what I thought people wanted me to be or expected me to be. I didn't do things to my detriment, you know, like take drugs or things like that. But I didn't always have the courage to be my authentic self. And especially in my professional career, it was difficult for me to assert who I was and share my true self when I was a minority in a very intimidating majority organization. Mm -hmm. But I still always fought for and championed the community initiatives That I thought were very important.
0: Mm. However,
2: at some point in my career, when I felt that I had paid my dues and proven myself, I felt that I deserved to be my authentic self, and I was. And when I finally felt comfortable to be my authentic self, it was the most fulfilled I'd ever been personally and professionally.
0: I want to wrap this interview up with this final question. (laughs) Both of you have accomplished so much in your careers and have helped and continue to help others do the same. Why is it important to you to continue to mentor the next generation on their journey?
1: I would not be where I am today without mentors, typically female mentors, Um, including my two sisters. I know that, I am who I am because of all those people who reached back to me and pulled me forward. I started being a mentor at a young age. I feel like when I was just in high school, I started being a mentor to just people I knew who were interested in going into theater. Then when I got into college, I found myself mentoring and working with youngsters who were in high school. And then I became a teacher and continued my mentorship all the way up until today. We are responsible for what happens in this world, even if it's in our tiny little circle. And if we have any ounce of influence on what's coming behind us, and giving them the courage the power the strength to move forward is it's just one of the best things we can do i cannot see my life without mentorship i have a young lady who just got in touch with me like 2 hours ago and said can i speak to you she was my student 4 years ago she's like i just need some inspiration can i give you a call And, of course, I'm going to take that call. I take all of the calls because I know that I wouldn't be here without those people who took my call. So if you have the ability to give any part of yourself to someone young coming up, I say, please, please, please do it, especially now. I I work with these students, and they're going through so much I call them warriors because they're getting an education online, and they're finding their way through, and they're dealing just with the idea of what is this world going to be for them. So, mentorship—it's pretty much one of the most important things I do with my life.
0: Carla, what's your take on mentoring?
2: The only other thing I'd love to
0: um, add to Margot's comments—I totally echo.
2: What she's saying, um, you know, but for the extended hands and hearts of others, my predecessors, I would not be who I am. So I don't know how I could possibly deny that to others. What I'd like to add um, to what Margot said is we, we, when we mentor, we think of the younger people, people younger than we are, who are kind of seeking, uh, striving for what we've accomplished. And I would just like to keep in mind it doesn't have an age. We have to be mindful that people of the same age as we are might need a mentor as well. And I, I wanted to mention that specifically because one of the challenges in my career uh, was I really didn't know a lot about mentors or understand or appreciate, you know, having a mentor. And I really didn't seek one out. And um, by the time I kind of realized that this could be really helpful to me, I was probably 35 years old or something, and I knew women in my field who had excelled, but I was embarrassed at that age to reach out to them and ask them to mentor me or ask for advice. Um, I did later on kind of seek out people, you know, other folks to help me out, um, but I wish I had understood that earlier in my career but I don't want us to to totally discount or or not think about the fact that not all all the people we mentor are young people and we should be open and receptive to mentoring people of all ages
0: nuggets and pearls from two incredible women miss Carla Hall Mrs Carla Hall and Miss Margot <laughs> Hall Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to speak with me here on Live with C Sharp on 90.9. It's been an honor, and I've learned so much and enjoyed this time. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I miss Detroit so much, and this just gives me all the feels, and it's so excited that I'm going to be speaking to my folks, from D-Town. Thank you so much.
2: And I just want to thank you also, Cecilia. I am ever proud of you. You make me more proud by the day.